Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is no doubt there is one thing about Georgian 2023 that's going to feel a good bit different than the last couple of years had, and it kind of relates to the Georgia schedule here. We saw Georgia last year open the season against Oregon, and despite the fact that you know Dan Lanning's a first-year coach uh, and that Oregon was nowhere near in the same category of Georgia as a team, that's still a pretty big brand, You know, one of the bigger teams in the West Coast, making a rare trip down to the South to play a game like that. There was actually a good bit of buzz for Georgia-Oregon prior to the start of last season, and there certainly was plenty of buzz uh, for the Georgia-Clemson game to begin the 2021 season. You'll remember that game played in Charlotte. Uh, first time we'd had a full stadium uh, for college football in more than a year. So there was a lot of energy around that Georgia-Clemson game. And to me, it's always really fun when Georgia has a really big game like that to begin the season. Either the first week of the year or first week of the season like Oregon and Clemson were. Or think about how like Notre Dame was like a week two type situation. Uh, whatever the scenario was, if you want to go back 2017, 2019, those two times when they played. When you got that really big early season game, I just think it makes – the preparation of the season, the anticipation for those of us who are fans, I just think it makes it all really fun. Georgia was kind of supposed to have one of those games this year. It was supposed to go to Oklahoma. By now, you know the story of why that's not happening. So what you have instead is a pretty barren September schedule. SEC game against September, uh, against South Carolina in September, then a road trip to Auburn to you know kind of end uh, the month. But other than that, you don't really quite have that same juicy non-conference game to begin the year that you've had in the past. So Kirby Smart, you want to go back to G-Day a couple of uh, weeks ago, he was asked one of the things, a really fair question, about the preparation for Georgia for the upcoming season without the energy that comes from a big marquee Clemson opponent or a big marquee Oregon opponent. How do you get ready for that? I thought that Smart gave a pretty interesting answer, and it's kind of interesting from, from a few different angles. So let, let me let you hear that as a way of setting up our conversation here today. Take a listen to this. Yeah, those games didn't create our sense of urgency we create our sense of urgency like, like the, the game doesn't do it you may put that myth out there that hey the Clemson or the Oregon game sets it that, that's not the case what sets it is when we put that ball down at Sanford Stadium on the scrimmages in fall camp that we're going against the best team that we'll play and your standard better be right when you go out to practice every day if you're not going to practice you're playing against as good a team as you'll play so it, it's not about the team we play guys it's, it's, it's about what we do so I'm not going to allow anybody to make an excuse for the opponent we play so I think that's really interesting from Kirby's smart standpoint there. And on the one hand, I obviously think what he's saying is true, is that what Georgia does in its scrimmages is probably more intense than almost what any other team can match when it plays Georgia. You know, Certainly Oregon last year was incapable of matching probably what Georgia was doing in some of those summer scrimmages. So there is a standpoint of that that's true. However, it's the angle that Smart takes on that at the end, which I also think is kind of interesting there as well. In other words, he says, I'm not going to let anybody use this as an excuse. Hey, we don't have the the big marquee opponent, so therefore it's going to be tougher for us to prepare. Smart almost anticipating, I think, the concern that could come of not quite having that game. In other words, we're not gonna we're not gonna worry about that. We're gonna try to get just as ready for the season, even though we don't have the big game to get ready for. So it almost leads you to believe that even though he says that who you play doesn't matter, he almost seemingly acknowledges that that the absence of a game like that 
could potentially cause a little bit of complacency. I think if we're honest, we would say at times for Georgia in 2022, it didn't play at its best from time to time because it knew who it was playing. Almost cost them a game against Missouri. Ultimately, they'd get credit for winning that. But we sort of at times knew last year when Georgia was playing less than stellar competition, that kind of caused Georgia to play less than stellar. We didn't really care because when Georgia did play what was perceived as a good team, Georgia got fired up and dragged them all over the field and obviously went 15-0 and won the national championship. So motivation clearly wasn't a problem for Georgia when it needed it. But there were a few games last year where the opponent was just weak enough that maybe Georgia didn't really feel like they needed it. And here we are in September of 2023, sort of thinking about the same thing kind of being true again. And Smart kind of already would appear playing defense against that. Now, there's also a a different type of conversation that happens around this. I mean, we talked to you yesterday about what uh, Reese Davis was saying. I'll pick Michigan to be number one. That there is this hope, I believe, on the part of people that kind of live outside the SEC footprint right now, kind of outside of our SEC country bubble here, that anything other than Georgia as a guarantee would make the season more interesting. That Georgia just sort of marched through the entire sport a year ago. There are a lot of people who I think are really sort of hoping that doesn't happen again, not because they hate Georgia, just because they hate the same old, same old three years in a row. It's not Georgia's job to make their you know jobs easier or make you know the sport more interesting it's georgia's job to win as much as it can we love it when georgia wins all these games but there are plenty of people who probably don't love it to the same degree of haven't we seen this two years in a row now georgia doing all of this again there are a lot of people including i believe reese davis yesterday who are just sort of hoping that's not the case and so they're going to look for any reason they can to ding you ga you know that i know that we can all agree on that well before the upcoming season even begins we just sort of have you know that you know we have that intuition that that's going to take place and one of the things they could potentially try to ding Georgia for a little bit is the fact that it doesn't have a strong non-conference opponent and the fact that it's not really in the regular season playing the Alabamas the LSUs the teams that we sort of would think are the best in the SEC and there are going to be a lot of people who will be like oh Georgia better go undefeated because they didn't have any chance of making the playoff unless it's undefeated and obviously I would say that's pretty ridiculous that if Georgia after its 13th game which would include the SEC championship if it's 12 and 1 then to me Georgia is should be and will be going to the college football playoff that the idea that you would exclude Georgia from a chance of defending its national championship in the playoff if it goes 12 and 1 we just think that's that's nonsense that's insane there'll be plenty of people who would try to argue that if Georgia were to trip up and lose a game but no matter when the loss would occur, no matter who it would occur to, if Georgia's 12-1 and one after 13, 13 games, I believe that Georgia should be going to the college football playoff no matter who the other three teams are or who it is that Georgia might be competing with for that fourth playoff spot. Georgia ought to be in the college football playoff, and I think it probably will be. But even kind of putting that aside for a moment, because that's one of those arguments you've got to be ready for in the fall, but we don't need to have it right now. I think a better question is, For those of us who are Georgia fans, how do we make sense of what we're about to see from Georgia without a huge number of measuring stick games to uh, look at from Georgia this year? And so that's what we're going to try to do for a minute. Now, this is also in kind of keeping what we're doing for our SEC throughs. You know, later on in the show, started this yesterday, we'll do this again today there as well, kind of looking at one big game for each of the SEC teams as a way of giving us a snapshot of where those teams are and what to expect from those teams. I want to do a little bit of the same kind of thing with Georgia here. What I've picked out are, I think, three really interesting games that will give you a pretty good idea of exactly what we have 
with Georgia for the upcoming season. I want to start with this one. I mentioned this a moment ago. September 16th, Georgia hosting South Carolina. Let me tell you why I think this is one of the games that will define the Georgia season coming up later on this fall. It was actually the South Carolina game a year ago that led me to believe oh gosh, there's nobody in the country nearly as good as Georgia. You know, Georgia had won, what, 49-3 to against Oregon. We we came so close. We predicted a shutout uh, back in the uh, summer. We almost got our shutout against Oregon. Almost got it. Uh, But nonetheless, 49-3 there. But then a couple of weeks later, it's Georgia playing South Carolina. What, they went 48-7? to Was that the final score uh, a year ago when Georgia played South Carolina? Total annihilation. Total blowout win on the road there in Columbia. And at that point in time, we'd seen Georgia – annihilate two power five teams including one sec team whereas we'd seen ohio state get off to a little bit of a slow start they didn't play great in their week one game against notre dame alabama was lucky to beat Texas. so the two teams that were actually ranked ahead of georgia to begin the season alabama and uh ohio state had looked far worse in the early portion of the schedule than georgia had georgia had just coasted right past oregon coasted right past south carolina blow them both out of the water it was really that game a year ago that led me to believe there is nobody in this country anywhere near as good as UGA is. And so I do think it makes for a nice side-by-side comparison. Can Georgia beat South Carolina this year as badly as it beat it a year ago? And if it doesn't, well, you may say, well, that just means that South Carolina has improved a little bit under Shane Beamer, maybe so. But if you want to kind of have an idea of whether or not that Georgia is on pace to keep pace with its national championship pace of a year ago, that early season opportunity against South Carolina would sort of go a long way towards showing you that. It's also about the only tune-up, I think, that Georgia has for its next big test, the next game, I believe, that's going to define the season for Georgia, and that's September 30th at Auburn. Now, Mike Griffith's going to join us on the show tomorrow, and he's not going to talk about this game a lot. I think this road game for Auburn is for Georgia at Auburn is really interesting because there aren't a lot of what you would think of as sort of two true tough road games for Georgia here this year. We'll get to another one of those in a moment. Uh, but this is about as close as it comes. And on paper, Auburn doesn't seem that great. They're probably not a top 25 team, at least as we understand it right now. But Hugh Freeze is a good coach. He's certainly gotten some SEC wins in the past, going back to his previous iteration of the league there at Ole Miss. And this will be Carson Beck's first we assume Beck's going to be the starter, obviously, barring injury. We believe he probably will be. But this is going to be his kind of first foray into anything kind of like this. This is a this is an opportunity for him. This is a this is a, a you know it's really a necessity for him too to step in there and play well in a spot like this. And while I'm assuming that Georgia wins the game, I'm guessing they probably win it convincingly. This is also one of those things to kind of give you an idea of how good George is relatively early in the year. Do they go into Jordan-Hare Stadium for what at least has a chance to be an undefeated Auburn team? Do they go into Jordan-Hare Stadium? Do they shake off all of that? Let's not forget it. It wasn't that long ago, 2017, that playing at a place like Auburn was considered really, really hard. Even in 2019 when Georgia won the game, after getting up to the big lead, Auburn kind of came back. And by the end of that game that night this is the hbtfd game from kirby smart by the end of that game that crowd had gotten into the game again there auburn can kind of create a little bit of an atmosphere and kind of create a little bit of a crowd and it'll be george's responsibility back as the quarterback his responsibility to deal with that then so on a regular season schedule for georgia that doesn't seem like it's filled with too many big games I think the home game against South Carolina, you'll judge something about that, especially given how bad Georgia beat them a year ago, make the comparison to where they are now. 
And then the road game at Auburn, a place that historically has been a tough place to play, could be a tough place to play again. If Georgia makes it look easy, boy, that tells you an awful lot about where Georgia is as a program on its way to maybe go for three and 23. And then finally, the one game that everyone's going to mention here, and they, they should, it's that November trip to Tennessee. Now, a lot of this sort of centers around how good does Tennessee end up being? Have they won enough? to make this game feel as big as it possibly can be. Because when Georgia was here in 2021 uh, in Knoxville, Georgia had way more to play for than Tennessee did. And even though I sort of thought that Tennessee had a chance to kind of, you know, sneak up on Georgia that day, it just didn't happen. Georgia was more than ready for that game. Clearly last year it became, I believe, the most memorable home game that's ever happened in Sanford Stadium. And obviously Tennessee has its sights set on maybe creating some sort of revenge environment when those two teams get together here this year. But by that point in time, we will have learned a lot about Georgia. And maybe what we're on pace to learn is that Georgia is exactly what they were a year ago, a team with almost no equal and almost no rival in all of college football. And games against South Carolina could prove that. Games against Auburn could prove that. And then the big regular season showdown against Tennessee could prove it. There's nothing the Vols fans would love more than the idea they're going to step up and do to Georgia and Knoxville what Georgia did to them in Athens a year ago. But the problem with that is you have to be as good as Georgia to be able to do that. Last year, Tennessee proved it wasn't. And my guess is when these teams play again, the same thing will be proven all over again. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions Georgia. We are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video uh, normally live. We're pre-recorded this week, 10 a.m. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Post the show. Uh, we do the show at dognation.com there as well. Normally, that's a first and 15 for us there. 945 dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We'll get back to that next week. This week, we're just across the video platforms uh, there for you at 10 a.m. Having a fun time, doing a fun show. Uh, obviously, radio, Athens Sports, Radio 960 Ref, podcast, Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. We're just really happy to have you for all of that here today. Big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, proud partners of UGA. That's why I love encouraging you to support them because they support the dogs and they're longtime loyal partners of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. And I am so thankful for that. I love the work they do for you. I love the fact they help us do the work that we do each and every day. So if you're facing an issue, foundation waterproofing, if you see signs of that, cracks in your walls, you go down to the basement, that concrete floor you might have, it's unsettled. You see an obvious crack that you know, almost like an earthquake or something like that. Uh, that can be a sign that something's not quite right. Same thing when it rains. If there's you know, moisture gathering in the garage, the crawl space, if you see some of that water down there in the basement, don't hesitate to get that scene about. Pick up the phone and call 678-ESOG now. 678-ESOG now. That's an important number to remember because if you're facing an issue like that, you want smart people helping you do that work. And that's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia has. An entire team of engineers on staff. That's why engineers is in their name. An entire team of engineers on staff to kind of explain to you what next steps are for the problem you have with foundation and waterproofing issues you might be facing. Nobody else in our market puts that level of resource to work for you to help you solve your problem. That's why we say they are a solutions-based company. So give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, bringing Dog Nation daily to you here today. All right, so I want to shift gears here for a moment and go around the doghouse. We're going to hear from Connor Riley again today, by the way, coming up in just a moment. We looked at offense kind of post-spring snapshot yesterday. We'll do defense, same kind of thing here coming up in just a moment. But prior to that, as we go around the doghouse, I want to stay on the Georgia offense here just for a moment. And 
if you ask the average Georgia fan, what didn't you learn on G-Day? What did you maybe would have liked to see more of? You just weren't able to do it. I'm guessing most Georgia fans would have probably centered their answer around the running back position, and this is just one of those things that sometimes just can't be helped. We actually did see Dejon Edwards play. I don't know that I thought I would see that, but he did play. Of course, Kendall Milton not able to. And then just shortly before the game a couple of Saturdays ago, we found out that um, uh, Branson Robinson wasn't going to be able to play either, that Robinson was dealing with a little bit of a, a thing, uh, I guess you call it a lower extremity, I think we'll hear Kirby Smart say here in just a moment, and that kind of took him off the field. A lot of Georgia fans wanted to see him because that's a guy that Georgia fans have grown to love here since he was a recruit. They have big expectations for him for the upcoming season, probably justifiably so, but we didn't get a chance to see that, uh, you know, we go back two Saturdays ago when G-Day took place. So if you were to ask me, hey, what are your – most significant unanswered questions for Georgia right now. I might talk running back here because of the health of the group, because of the you know absence of guys like Kenny McIntosh who are so important to, to what this uh, group was doing here. I might kind of center some of my answer here around the running back spot on that. But it is important to know that when Kirby Smart was asked a similar question about those Georgia running backs after the G-Day game a couple of weeks ago, even though we didn't get to see a lot of this on the uh, spring scrimmage from UGA, it certainly does not sound like Smart is lacking in confidence when it comes to this group. And I would say that seeing as that Smart sees more of this stuff than we do, we might ought to borrow some of his confidence on this. But this is what Kirby said about running backs, and I think this is interesting. No, we have good backs. Andrew Paul was, was, had a really good fall camp. Feel really good about him coming back healthy. And he's going to be like his freshman year because he really didn't get that, so he'll be behind. Uh, Branson, whenever we're able to get him back, man, he had a great spring. He got the workload. We got two backs with a lot of experience in Dejon and Kendall um, who've, who've played and done a good job. Uh, so I'm like, I'm excited about those guys. Cash has done a great job. Rod Robinson uh, had a good day today. He's a different kind of back. But he catches the ball well out of the backfield. He's big and physical. Uh, guys don't like tackling him. So I mean, we have a good group of backs. I feel I feel really confident about our, the, the group we have. I like what Smart says there at the end that Roderick Robinson has been able to catch the ball out of the backfield. We believe that's an important position for Georgia this year because Kenny McIntosh just did that so well. And James Cook did it so well before that. And Sonny Michelle certainly did that so much before that. And I'm not saying that Robinson's the next in line with that. Body type-wise, you'd say he doesn't quite fit that profile necessarily. But at one point in time, maybe McIntosh didn't quite fit that profile either. He just sort of grew into that role of Georgia. Maybe Roderick Robinson could do that. But for Georgia fans who would say, I didn't see a lot from running back at G-Day, maybe hearing that from Kirby ought to help you with that, that while you may not know what Georgia has at running back, it certainly seems like Kirby Smart uh, knows it. And despite the fact there's been some injury and despite the fact there's some obviously key departures there, Kenny McIntosh maybe most importantly, that at least according to Kirby Smart, it sounds like they're still pretty well set up for the uh, running back spot for the upcoming year. We'll make that around the doghouse here on our Engineered Solutions of Georgia's presentation of Dog Nation Daily for you here today. We'll also, before all said and done, continue our look at the big games facing each of the SEC teams uh, this upcoming season. We'll kind of give you another handful of those here today. But for now, for a look at the Georgia defense, where it stands after spring practice, really good information coming your way. It's Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Had a special treat yesterday to have Dog Nation Daily's appearance with Connor Riley on a Monday something we don't always get to do but now it's the normal spot here on Tuesday and we're in the midst as I'm enjoying our Dog Nation cruise of 
kind of breaking down what we saw from Georgia this spring, what we kind of take from some of the rumors from spring practice, what we saw with our own eyes from G-Day and where this leaves the dogs heading into the summer. We did this on Monday's show, looking at the offensive side of the ball. Seems appropriate. We'd do it on defense here for today. So we welcome back Connor as we do that. And Connor, let me just kind of pick right into this. Obviously, one of the big stories going back a couple of Saturdays ago was the announced transfer intention of uh, Bear Alexander. And yet, Connor, I think you'll join me in saying, even though had Alexander stayed, I believe it would have been a huge part of this Georgia defensive line this season. I think even subtracting him off this roster, my expectation is that Georgia will still have the best defensive line in the country. It'll be an overwhelming strength for this team here this year. That's just how deep I believe that Georgia is. Is that too strong of a statement in your mind? Yes, if only because I think we've heard enough from Kirby Smart to, to ask the question, who is the most dominant player on this defensive line? Uh, in 2021, I think it was pretty clearly Jordan Davis for much of the year. Maybe Trayvon Walker took it there at the end of the year. Last year was obviously Jalen Carter. I thought Bear Alexander possibly could have been that guy this season. Obviously, he didn't want to do the things necessary to do that, which is a big reason why I think he's looking to transfer and play elsewhere. You know, Nas Stackhouse, Zion Logue, Warren Brinson, those guys are veterans. You need those type of players on a defensive line to be as good as Georgia projects to be. You know, Tyrion Ingram-Dawkins made some major strides this spring. Kristen Miller, seems the light seems to be coming on for him a little bit. But who's that guy that just one-on-one can beat an opposing team's best offensive lineman, pressure a quarterback, take down a running back, create a negative play there? It could very well be Michael Williams, who missed most of spring with a foot injury. He is expected to be back at the end or by the beginning of uh, fall camp there. And I guess the question is, you know, Michael Williams, I thought, had a pretty good first year. Can he go from good to great? Uh, That's a leap we haven't necessarily seen a second-year player make on Georgia's defensive line. It's usually been guys in the third and sometimes fourth years in the program. And so is there someone on this defensive line that can go from merely being a good player to being a transcendent one, as we have seen Georgia have in recent seasons on the defensive line? That's the big question there. But from a depth standpoint, look, Georgia brings back, I think, six defensive linemen that played over 200 snaps last season. They're going to be just fine. They have plenty of quality depth. Kirby Smart still felt really good about this after speaking about it at G-Day. And, and so the Bear Alexander loss you know, maybe impacts the ultimate ceiling of this defensive line. But from a da- from an early season standpoint, Georgia's not going to be in a position of, of weakness when it comes to this defensive line. Yeah, what I think might be interesting is to go back and rewatch the Oregon game from a year ago, the the Auburn game from a year ago, the South Carolina game from a year ago. These were games, you know, kind of prior to uh, I guess Jalen Carter's what return. You know, he'd been kind of banged up. You know, they're early in the season. I forget how much he, to be honest with you, played in some of those games. But obviously, he came back fully healthy. Kind of you know, Florida moving into Tennessee. You know, what did Georgia look like in that early portion of the season? You know, I don't know that the Georgia defensive line necessarily had a great game against Oregon. I mean, I don't know that they necessarily needed to necessarily. It was a little bit of a weird game. Georgia won convincingly without uh, doing a lot of what we sort of think Georgia does best. Didn't run the ball a ton that day. You know, didn't, other than forcing a good number of turnovers, didn't have a dominant day defensively necessarily necessarily either. So the point here is, is that, you know, even though I am pretty bullish on what Georgia can be from a defensive line standpoint, replacing the dynamic things that uh, Jalen Carter brought Georgia a year ago, that does still loom as a pretty big question. Yeah, and, and so, you know, again, this is a schedule that sets up really favorably to start the year for Georgia. UT Martin, um, Ball State Week 2, you host South Carolina Week 3, a team that just has not been able to play Georgia close since Shane Beamer came in 
And yes, they had a lot of success to end last season, but I'd be pretty surprised right now as we sit here in April if South Carolina is able to make that a game. And then UAB. So they've got time to figure it out. And I think, you know, look, they understand that these are guys that they hear these questions. Ion Logan's a prideful guy. Uh, Michael Williams knows there's a lot for him to go out there and prove. They're going to hear this chatter over the coming months, which I expect it now to be an offseason storyline given the loss of Bear Alexander. Like, yeah, this defensive line has been a strength of Georgia's team in each of the last two seasons, but who's going to emerge as the guy? Who's going to emerge as the leader? Uh, you know, I think Logue is a clear case to be that leader from a, a leadership, from a vocal standpoint, from a best player standpoint. But if Michael Williams can make that transition early next year, I think that's going to make things much easier. But they're also really young at that outside linebacker position as well. And so you have to do wonder who's going to be that disruptive player in the front seven, or is Georgia just going to do what it sort of did late last year against Ohio State and say, hey, look, when we're going to need to create negative plays, we're going to send both our two inside linebackers. We're going to bring six when you guys only have five, and we're going to trust that our athletes are going to be able to get around and make plays there. There are some pros and cons to that. As Georgia certainly gave up a number of big plays as well by just leaving their guys out there on islands. But I think they're going to want to find guys at that edge rusher position and along the defensive line that can be disruptive one-on-one playmakers. That way they're not so reliant on blitzing their inside linebackers to make plays. Speaking of linebackers, I want to move and look at that level. And I'm going to combine outside and inside together just for the sake of this conversation, even though increasingly I think those position groups are becoming very different things in college football. But nonetheless, inside linebacker, you sort of know what Georgia is. Two veteran starters, you know, they both will rank among I think the best in the country. I think Smile Monin's incredibly underrated. We didn't see him at G-Day. Outside linebacker is an example of what I think is going to be a big story uh, for this team this summer, which is great energy brought from players returning from injury. Uh, Jalen Walker's an example of that. Marvin Jones Jr.'s an example of that. Georgia fans hope those injuries recover on a timeline that allows them to be ready to step in and be big contributors early. I'm curious how good you think Georgia can be at linebacker inside. I think we know outside linebacker. In a roundabout way, I sort of think Georgia needs to be better than it was a year ago, as crazy as that sounds, knowing how dominant Georgia was. Given the injury situation, you think Georgia's on track to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think your your statement is fair there, especially with what happened with that position after they lost Nolan Smith. And, and so, you know, Damon Wilson shows some nice flashes on G-Day. He's not going to be an every-down player to start, but can that translate to a pass-rushing package? You know, given what Georgia has at inside linebacker, you mentioned Jamon, you mentioned Jamal. I thought Xavier Story had a really strong G-Day there as well. C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson look like real players. Maybe you move Jalen Walker full-time to an outside linebacker position where he is able to get after the quarterback and pressure and live on the edge a little bit more there. I don't know if there's more pressure on a single player on this defense than maybe Marvin Jones has facing him. Obviously, he's got to continue to recover from the shoulder surgery. But there's an expectation for him to be the guy at that edge rusher position. There was one entering spring practice. Obviously, he gets that cleaned up. And he was pretty limited by injuries in terms of what he was able to do in a practice situation rep by rep last year. In an ideal world, if Georgia was in a better spot last year at edge rusher, maybe he gets some of those surgeries taken care of at the beginning of the year instead of having to play through them. And so it's going to be really interesting to me how we see Marvin Jones in particular develop at that outside linebacker position because if he makes the steps necessary, and he's going to have to do a lot of this during fall camp when he's able to put pads back on and get out there. If he's getting better and making strides, I think that's a really good sign for where this Georgia defense can ultimately get to go. Because, once again, I think the strength of this team is their inside linebacker position and their inside linebacker play. And the best defenses that Kirby Smart has had at Georgia 
2017 and 2021 have been led by what they have at inside linebacker. Oakland Smith won the Buckets in 2017. 2021, uh, Nakobe Dean won that award. I think maybe the only reason you don't see either Schmal or Jamar Dumas Johnson win it this year is that they somehow both eat into their own sort of categories there because I think they're both talented enough to win that award this season. And so you, as great as you feel about what you have in that inside linebacker position, you just need, I think, one guy to step up and emerge as a playmaker at that edge rusher position. And if Marvin Jones can be that, you're going to feel, I think, a lot better about the ultimate ceiling of this defense entering 2023. Final phase of this defense for a moment, secondary. I think the sense that I'm getting here is is that they feel okay about Tyke Smith at star, which now makes, you know, Javon Bullard one of the best safeties in the country after not really playing safety, you know, necessarily all that much a, a year ago. I think that he just kind of slides over and dominates there the same way he dominated as a nickelback at Georgia last season. I guess that leaves a guy like David Daniel trying to fight to show that, no, maybe you need to look at me more seriously, which maybe kind of uh, upends that competition a bit. But that's the sense that I'm sort of getting there. At cornerback, you know, I, I guess how real is this competition at cornerback? Do you think that Georgia would feel fine about starting Dalen Everett tomorrow if it had to play a football game? Is Nyland Green a serious part of this? Uh, what do you think is happening at cornerback right now? And I guess just the ongoing competition at a couple of different spots in this Georgia secondary. I don't think Georgia knows who its starting cornerback opposite Keely, or uh, Kamari Lasseter is going to be right now. Uh, they had Nyland Green out there on Saturday uh, on G-Day. With the first team defense, they had Dalen Everett, uh, Julian Humphrey out there with the second team. Julian Humphrey had a really good spring by all accounts. Uh, I find it interesting that they're playing Smoke Bowie at corner there. I think that maybe speaks to some of the concern that they have with that position, whereas maybe they feel a little bit better about what they have at those safety and star positions there. Uh, you know, they're going to continue to fight and figure it out. They do have really good depth at the cornerback position. And, you know, Nyland Green, Julian Humphrey, Dalen Everett, uh, A.J. Harris, the freshman who got some playing time on Saturday. All those guys were former top 100 recruits. They have good depth. They have good options. I think they just want to see somebody not dissimilar to the quarterback position. They want to see one of those guys step up and actually win it and emerge as the guy that won the cornerback job rather than just handing it to someone. Conversely, I think they feel great about what they have at that safety position. Yes, you're going to need Malachi starts to continue to get better there. You love what you've seen out of Javon Bullard. Tyke Smith was one of the standouts defensively, not just on G-Day with the interception he had at Brock Vanderbilt, but from the spring practice periods as a whole there. And you've got some young talent as well. You know, Aguero looks like a guy that is going to be a player for this defense. You're obviously interested in getting back Dan Jackson, a veteran piece who, who you know, is he a star? Is he a starter? Probably not, no, but he's, he's a guy you probably want on your defense given the, the big-time football he has already played for you. And so as unsure as they might be about the cornerback position right now, I think they feel really good about what they have at their safety and star position to sort of prevent the big plays on the outside. Yeah, Aguero's an interesting name. We're going to talk to Jeff Sintel more about some of the freshmen uh, from spring on uh, Thursday when he joins us. But, you know, that's a guy that I, I think it may be not the issue of Aguero being ready to play, but the issue of – where do you put him with other guys who are a little bit older who are also themselves ready to play? I mean, the, the sense that I get it, it's about you can only play with 11, and maybe that might leave Aguero as kind of an odd man out. I don't know if that makes him a, a dime back or something like that, but but certainly you get the sense that Aguero is a freshman that's going to be a force to be reckoned with himself in any kind of competition this summer too. Yeah, you know, and we've seen guys that are freshmen come in and play – you know, somewhat of a role. You know, Malachi Stark sort of forced his way into the starting lineup last season. 
with how he played, and then obviously making the big interception against Oregon. And, and I think Aguero is in a better spot because he's not going to be asked to do those things right away. He's not going to be demanded to be a starter. He's going to have to go out there and earn it. And I think he's a player certainly capable of doing so. And he's a guy not afraid of competition, played at IMG Academy during his high school career. And so he's a guy that is going to have the ability, have the luxury of earning a role. And I do expect in some way for him to be an impact player for Georgia this season. Not, you know, it's a different position, so to speak, but a guy like Jalen Walker a season ago, who we saw flash a little bit in the spring game, you know, made some plays on special teams early in the season. And as the season progressed, found a way to play a bigger role on this defense. I think you could see Janelle Aguero do something similar, obviously from a different position at the safety spot, but a guy who has the pedigree, has the tools, has the mental makeup to go out there and earn a spot in this defense over the course of the season. It may not be a huge role, but it's going to be a guy who late in games next season, SEC championship, college football playoff type games, you see him on the field in meaningful situations. And then finally, let me just squeeze in one more thing, and then I want to talk to folks about a great thing you have coming up on Friday. At the very least, Kamari Laster seems like he's a solid starter, a guy that you're very glad to have on your team. What are the chances, though, Connor, he's more than that? And he's one of these guys that sort of moves into the conversation of what Georgia has seemed to have a lot in the Kirby Smart era, which is a real lockdown cornerback. I think that's something I'm quite frankly kind of banking on. Uh, we've heard really great things about Kamari from the second he stepped on campus. I, I think there are Georgia fans out there that probably like the season Kamari had more than Keely Ringo had last season. And, and, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a Thorpe Award winner. I'm not saying he's going to be an All-American. But I do think there's a very real path to Kamari developing into an all-SEC level player. He's got the tools. He's got the instincts. Uh, he, he's a guy that's played a lot of football and is a guy that Georgia really, really likes. And, and, you know, if you're getting the Kirby Smart stamp of approval as early and often as Kamari has, that tends to mean you're, you're, in, you're on the way to accomplishing really good things there. And while, yes, he wasn't the, the superstar, you know, five-star recruit that, say, Keeley was or some of the other guys that Georgia has signed, in recent years, you look at some of their best cornerbacks. You know, DeAndre Baker was not a highly ranked recruit when he won the Thorpe Award. Eric Stokes was a three-star recruit there. there. There's something to be said about Georgia consistently, you know, finding their best cornerbacks out of guys that were not top-end rated recruits. And he came from the obviously the very strange 2021 cycle where we weren't getting a chance to look at guys as fully as we had in the past, and there were quite a lot of co- football cancellations that fall. But I think Kamari Lasseter is a guy that has clearly outplayed his recruiting ranking. And I'd be, you know, if, if we're not talking about him as an all-SEC level performer at the end of this se- upcoming season, then this Georgia defense probably isn't reaching its ceiling and getting to the level I think you and I both expect it to get to. All right, but as we get ready to say goodbye to you, uh, on Friday I'm really excited about something. Obviously people know we're on our Dog Nation cruise this week. Friday's the day we're coming back. Logistically that presents some real challenges for us in terms of doing Dog Nation daily the way we normally do, and it's also post-NFL draft, so what better time to be live even if I can't quite do it. A tough day to do a pre-recorded show, in other words, when we know there's going to be so much news involving Georgia. So on Friday at 10 a.m. across the Dog Nation video platforms, Connor's going to go live. I'm going to try to join Connor if I can. I, I really can't make any promises. Connor will be fine if I can't. Of course, he's more than capable of handling that, but I'd like to be a part of the conversation if possible just to kind of give some sights and sounds from what we think is going to be a really fun NFL draft party on the final night of our Dog Nation cruise. But Connor, on a day which could be a very big one and will be a very big one for a handful of former Georgia players, glad to know that you're going to be live on video during our normal Dog Nation daily hour 
as a way of reacting to that and the other stuff in the NFL draft because even the non-Georgia draft picks in some ways will have an impact on kind of how we think about Georgia's place in college football so I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts about that on Friday telling me you don't want to pre-record a show where you accurately predict uh, where all the uh, Georgia defenders and Georgia players end up going in the draft and which which recruits pop next week and, sure. and whatnot. You, you, you're, not, you're not wanting to put your money down on that. No, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, you know, it's not every day you get a chance to pinch hit for the Royal, for the world-famous Brandon Adams, but we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a busy week at Dog Nation, and there's a ton of draft stuff, and it's one of my favorite events to get to cover. And I'm looking forward to it. I, if I had to set an over-under right now, and probably say three and a half for first-round picks for Georgia, I, I think there's a good chance they can get to four if Donald Washington can squeeze in the back after the first round. And, and that's going to be another great night for the Georgia football program as they continue to develop the best college football players. It shows up on Saturdays when they win national championships. And it's going to show up on Thursday night when three, four, potentially five guys have their names called in the first round of the NFL draft a year after having five do so a year ago. So looking forward to it and uh, getting a chance to chat with you. Great stuff, Connor. Thanks so much for your time today and then for doing that for us on Friday. And if I can try to figure out a way to join you, I'll I'll certainly do that. But if not, I'll look forward to hearing everything you have to say. And of course, talking to you back here live again on Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia again next week. Yep. As always, it's a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Great conversation with Connor Riley there. Something we always do every Tuesday here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. It also provides a reminder for me that also on Tuesdays, as of late, we've heard from former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. That's something we won't do this week because of the pre-record, but we'll get back to sort of normal format again uh, next week. So we'll look forward to talking to uh, Jake Fromm then. For now, let me talk to you about cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and what is now day two for our Dog Nation cruise. That means we're heading towards Nassau on the Bahamas, Perfect Day, Coco Cay. And, you know, I love when the ship sails into port because, you know, obviously when you're out there in the ocean, you look around, all you see is ocean in every direction. But as you start getting closer to port, you start seeing that little... You know, uh, you know, evidence that you're getting close, and whether it be perfect day, Coke, okay, you see the tallest water slide in North America, and you can see that from way far away, and all the stuff there on the island. You know, it's all laid out and ready to go for you. You know, Nassau is really Nassau in a lot of ways, a pretty big town. You know, pretty big city in some respects, and so very busy harbor, and you see all the ships and the boats in the harbor there, and obviously Atlantis, big resort that's right there along the uh, water, and that's kind of an exciting thing to see too. So. One of my favorite parts about cruising is that time in which you kind of cruise into port. I like to wake up early when I can and see the ship come into port. Some people don't like to wake up early on cruise because of everything they were doing the day before. But when I can wake up early and enjoy that, I I, I like to do that. And, of course, I really recommend to you your own chance to enjoy your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Uh, Jessica Slater is a travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. She can help you with that. Give her a call 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. Not too soon to start thinking about those cruise travel plans. In fact, really time is now before uh, availability runs out because these cruise tickets right now are hot. You better believe that. Uh, people jumping at the chance to be on it whether it be a three night four night sailing seven night sailing on one of those oasis class ships it's a great time to be on a royal caribbean cruise vacation jessica can help you with it so make sure you give her a call today all right so we told you yesterday for our sec through this week as a way of kind of taking a snapshot of where the league is kind of post spring we're looking at one big game for each of these teams in the upcoming season now 
also over the course of four days of pre-recorded shows i totally understand something's going to happen somewhere in the sec especially with the transfer portal window open that's just you know that's just the way it goes so uh if something really really big happens i'm clearly not able to talk to you about that right now but you better believe that we'll be talking about that in earnest again next week and you know from time to time this is just one of those things we have to do this week being one of those opportunities so since we can't talk about the life stuff as it's happening let's talk about something that's relatively evergreen and a fun conversation no matter when you have it and we did this yesterday i thought we got off to a great start so we'll do it again today how about for florida one of those teams that obviously around here we believe a good georgia fan a gator hater first and foremost and you know florida is a very interesting contrast for the upcoming season because on the one hand when you watch their spring game a couple of uh, thursday nights ago you saw a team that by appearances does not look all that talented and yet when you see like espn's preseason fpi florida was in the top 20 they're on that which would suggest that they have a chance to be a little bit of a surprise team this year even in the absence of anthony richardson kind of the post ar era there at florida there is at least some thought that billy napier could have a better year two than he had year one so the game i want to highlight here for florida is what's going to happen at the very beginning of the season you know last year the only thing that florida really had to show for the entirety of the year was a win in gainesville against utah but as i've said before as an SEC team, you really don't get a ton of credit for beating a Pac-12 team. You know, Georgia doesn't hang a banner for beating Oregon. Florida, even though that was the only thing they had for all year long, you don't get a lot necessarily uh, for, for you know, beating Utah there. If you don't mind, can we bring the uh, music down just a slight little bit, if you don't mind? Uh, you know, you don't really get a ton of credit for beating Utah necessarily. But if you go to Rice-Eccles Stadium, that's a little bit different type of thing. Florida playing at Utah to begin the 2023 season and they do so as a sizable underdog if you look at some of the early look ahead game of the year type lines that are available at various sports books you see florida right now is about a nine point underdog at utah so if florida could go on the road and somehow find a way to win that game something that has always been very difficult for teams to do in salt lake take usc for instance that's typically the most talented team in the pac-12 they've had trouble there oregon's had trouble there salt lake city rice stadium has proven itself to be a pretty tough place to play my guess is florida probably finds it much the same way previous opponents have but if somehow that were not the case that does open the door for florida to possibly be a little bit more of a surprise team here this season so we'll learn about a lot about florida early in the season and for a coach in billy napier who may find sec wins hard to come by to get embarrassed or something close to that in a uh, beginning of the season situation would not be great timing keep in mind this is a team that got ran out of the building by Oregon State in their bowl game to finish the 2022 season so I'm not quite so sure Billy Napier wants back-to-back ugly losses to Pac-12 foes that is not a great line for an SEC coach to have on his resume that is a pretty big game now stay week one here for a moment there as well you've heard me say a lot that I think the team probably talked about the least around college football here this year in this offseason has been LSU I don't know why that there are some national media types who seemingly show a gap in their mind between their perception of Alabama and their perception of LSU uh, in favor of Alabama, by the way. That doesn't seem to make sense to me, given the fact that LSU beat Alabama on the field. And when you look at the two teams on paper right now, you know, barring major changes, it does not appear that Alabama has an obvious talent edge over LSU right now. And you'd be hard pressed to point to where that exists if it does exist at all. So this is an LSU team that I think is probably more for real or more of a threat to whatever than they've maybe been given credit for so far this offseason. 
But the question is, can you turn good SEC West teams, something they were a year ago, they actually won the division, can you turn that into something more? Can you turn that into an actual, real, legitimate college football playoff opportunity? Well, the way you would do that obviously comes week one of the season when they go to Orlando, take on Florida State. This was a really entertaining week one game a year ago. Wild, crazy game. Florida State ended up winning it. That seemed like a, you know, a pretty, you know, I guess, sort of crazy upset to begin the year but as it turns out Florida State was pretty good and this year Florida State expects to be really good again Jordan Travis is back at quarterback Mike Norvell seems to have established a little bit of permanence there in Tallahassee the way those fans have been craving now for quite some time uh so Florida State has a chance to be really good LSU has a chance to be really good y'all this is just a really good football game LSU Florida State in Orlando last year the game was in New Orleans this year it's in Orlando and I think the LSU could demonstrate here at the beginning of the season they are more than potentially just the best team in the SEC West. They are a real, living, breathing college football playoff contender. There have been two instances in the playoff era, and this is the final year of the 14 playoff, of course, but there have been two instances in the playoff era when two different SEC teams made the playoff. It's been Georgia and Alabama both times. Could LSU join Georgia as a twofer this year out of the SEC? This game against Florida State will go a long way towards telling you that. And then finally, once again, a little bit different kind of game here. Uh, but I still think this is pretty interesting, and this is a guy that a lot of us root for. It's Sam Pittman at Arkansas, and you've heard me say before, as much as I openly cheer for Sam Pittman to win games at Arkansas because I like Pittman that much, and I also just sort of like this style of coach. I said this last week about Shane Beamer. I think there ought to be room in the SEC for different styles of personalities among successful coaches, and the idea that kind of a fun-loving kind of a regular guy type coach could be successful. I like the idea of that. And thus far, that's kind of what Sam Pittman has been. But no matter how much your fans love you, and I think that Pittman has plenty of fans right there in that Fayetteville you know, area, no matter how much they may want you to succeed, you still sort of have to succeed. And I do think that Sam Pittman's going to win some games this year. I do. And it pains me to say that, but I believe that is true. And so what I sort of perceived to, to eventually be the truth is, when you get to November 25th, and when Arkansas gets a chance to play Missouri again, a team that beat it a year ago, this is what the battle line rivalry, is that what that's called? Um, I'm guessing this probably looms as a pretty big game for Sam Pittman, and I hate it for him, but I'm guessing this is going to probably end up being the kind of game he needs to win, at the very least, to secure some more quality of life. You know, I'm not saying he's coaching for his job at the end of the season against Missouri but certainly I think he could coach in this game to make his job a lot more enjoyable in the next season if he could find a way to get this rivalry win uh especially given the fact that you know you know you know coming into the league at the same time Eli Drinkwitz is trying to build up his program at the same time Pittman's trying to build up his this probably looms a pretty big game there for Arkansas we obviously hope Pittman gets it and hopefully he's won enough that this game actually has a little bit different feel to it but if the season goes away I think that it might this might be a really coveted win to at least give Arkansas fans some bragging rights uh, for the season that was. So keep your eye on that. What could probably loom is a pretty pivotal game for Sam Pittman's future. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, of course, for Georgia, we would say there's no bigger game that looms than the rivalry game against the Florida Gators. Certainly this year other games may seem bigger because Florida's not very good but we say right here a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost and our way of getting you ready for that rivalry game is what we call our Gator hater countdown and 186 days from right now the Georgia Bulldogs go back to Jacksonville for what might be the final time there's a lot of potential final things in college football for this upcoming season the cocktail party could be one of those and 186 days from right now we're going to get ready to enjoy a beatdown of those lousy stinking Gators and by the way uh 
If you go to dognation.com, there's a link at the top of the page. You can get your Gatorator t-shirt. You can get your Eddie the Blind Squirrel t-shirt. You can get your Lousy Stinking Gators t-shirt. You can get all kinds of things there to sort of show folks that you believe that a good Georgia fan is a true Gator hater. We appreciate all of you who have done just that. Thanks for being with us here today. We'll look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.